Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C. with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. forces people to slow down. It's very tangible. And who and what you're photographing, you have to pay attention to it. You have to get to know it. You have to have to come familiar with you. <clears throat> and you kind of fall in love whatever with whatever subject you're doing. I'm setting up the tripod and I load it. I have to load my images. You know, I have to set up the tripod, I have to balance the tripod, I have to balance the image, I have to, you know, and, and by the time you're just looking, you're paying attention to light, you know, which a lot of photographers forget, that's our main tool, is light. Without light, there is no image, you know, whether it's artificial or whether it's natural. Light, so you're paying attention to light, so it becomes, it's a very mechanical, tangible, and organic at the same time. All right. What's up, beautiful people? This is Creative Habits Podcast. We have a very special guest today, uh, a, a, a person that I really look up to as an artist, a photographer, a musician, um, a traveling man. Like, this guy is, is, is really amazing at what he does. Um, he was born in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands, uh, came to photography through documenting, documenting his travels with his musical group um, after joining in 2011. Uh, he focuses on portraiture, candid, social documentary uh, imaging, imagery, and has led to assignments with uh, the Richmond Free Press, New York Times, The Guardian, ProPublica, and, and so much many, um, so much more. Um, we welcome Christopher Puma Smith. How you doing today, brother? Bless as usual, man. One day at a time, moving forward, man. Good thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, tell me about your journey. What was the transition like moving from St. Thomas to the States? <laughs> moving from the VI, growing up, I've always wanted to come to the States at one point or the other. And it was for superficial reasons. I was watching movies, you know, and, and wanted to live in a neighborhood where the house, everybody has a lawn, everybody's house is right next to each other. You live in a cul-de-sac. You wanted that type of aesthetic where you see it on TV, you see it on movies all the time, you know. But unfortunately, it was being um, uh, a restless youth, you know, being a, a troubled youth uh, that caused me to to necessarily have to move to the States. And it was uh, to further education. Uh, I was accepted to art institutes in Miami. That was my first move. And I didn't finish that because of music. But it was an unfortunate yet a fortunate move that I had to make. But a lot of blessings came out of that. And I've, and I've moved back a few times um, for certain reasons, but uh, I think home is in the States for now, but eventually I will make my move back to VA at some point. Yeah, definitely, man. It's um, It seems like I don't think anything is coincidence. Every step you had to go through throughout your journey is yeah. what developed you as a person now and, a, and an artist now. True, true, true. I, I, I don't take anything for granted. Um, I believe most things are for a reason. Mm. Um, I believe there's opportunity in, in, in every mistake, every blessing, you know, every scenario there is, if you're alert enough, there is room for opportunity uh, and a blessing in, in every scenario. Yep. Now, um, I'm going to go back and forth between your photography and um, you being a musician. Um, what inspired you to become a photographer? I was traveling. <clears throat> I was I was in Virginia at the time when the band asked me, I was already in several bands performing consistently, but when people asked me to join, I had never really traveled anywhere international. 
I think I went to Niagara Falls one time as a youth on the side. And that was it, you know. And they asked me, they gave me a list of all these locations in Europe. Place that I embarrassingly at the time didn't know these places, where these places were. And we had got to Lisbon, Portugal one day. Um, and I decided to share because my mother and my brother, a lot of my friends who never left the Iowa asking me, you know, show me some things. And that was before people were really on their phones taking pictures like that. And social media was really prevalent in people's lives. And I just wanted to share imagery, stories to my family and my friends. So I went, picked up a little digital camera from a local mall. And I just started, you know, shooting as much as possible, taking everything I could. Um, and it kind of stuck with me. The photographer, I mean, the guitar player for the band, he's a photographer and graphic designer by trade, awesome musician. So he was giving me pointers and tips. He was seeing, you know, the photography bug was biting me. So he was giving me pointers and tips about composition, you know, about the basics, aperture, shutter screen, because everything was on auto mode at the time, you know. And once he told me or showed me the basics of composition, um, it was, it made more sense to me and it became more enjoyable for me. And it was another creative outlet while I was on the road. And I think eventually, well, I know eventually it just, uh, it, just it just it just grabbed down to me as another avenue to creatively express what I was doing lyrically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could definitely tell it's like you put your, your hundred thousand hours in, you know, with the photography. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, you said take ten take ten thousand uh, yeah. uh, was before and then, then you really understand yeah because me personally when I first started I'll be honest my work was absolute you know trash <laughs> you know what I mean but just having that consistency you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah I mean it, it was it was being around mainly Robbie Myers like I said the guitar player it was a lot of the photographers who followed the band who came to shows on a consistent basis mainly in the US it was talking to photographers after the show. You know, it was it was mainly education, you know, self-educating myself on the history of photography and current photographers and learning how to, and I'm still learning how to have a unique style and eye. And um, it, you know, really, and, and, it's, and it's kind of a brick wall that I have in these days, it's been heavily influenced by the so-called golden age of photography. And arguably there's, you know, there's different eras for that. Um, but it was an old school uh, approach to documenting. And I say old school because it's, it's becoming more and more or less and less accepted in these days as far as outdoors, walking the streets, candidly capturing, composing, uh, uh, making organization out of chaos when you go out into the world. And more and more people, or less and less people are accepting of that style. And I think I'm caught in that era of photography, you know, black and white, candid, documenting strangers, and more and more we have, or more we're relying on social media and being able to carve and create your own identity online. People are less accepting of you capturing them candidly and trying to make some kind of artistic composition of that, you know? So it's, it's, it's hard being in love with that and the world accepting it less and less. I mean, I, from what I see from your style, you capture a lot of, subjects which are candidates that people would usually overlook you know just walk past them and they wouldn't have a second thought but it's like you're giving us a view from your eye you know a view from your point of view um quick question how has traveling with your band uh expanded your perspective of the world
I used to hear um, Steve McCurry talk about it a lot because um, his whole career is based on travel photography. And, and he's the photographer who captured uh, his most famous image was the Afghan girl. That was on front of National Geographic, you know. And um, he used to say it all the time, the more and more I travel, the more and more I see similarities in human beings. Even though culture on, on many aspects may separate us, we have a lot of similarities, needs and wants. And um, I grew up with a lot of prejudices. And trying to make myself, and we all are unique in some kind of way, but you try to make yourself um, completely different as a human being. And I think we are doing that today on extreme levels. <laughs> but the more and more I travel, um, you, there is no reason for segregation or classism on any kind of, to any degree. You know, I mean, as far as there's always going to be people who do things better than other people, but these extreme forms of classism and caste systems is a very strange behavior and history uh, as far as human beings. And no matter where I go, no matter what community or culture I walk into, you can always be accepted as a human being first and foremost, and you always find certain things that you can find common ground to relate to people all over the planet. And I, and I used to be a part of groups of people who always want to be dependent, you know, from, from other humans and separated, you know, you know, you stay over here, we'll stay over here because we have these differences and we need to mainly be separated because of these differences. And that's kind of one of the benefits of being in America, such a diverse country, you know, and it's just, there's common ground for humans to be, to, to be around each other, you know, to relate on, on many different levels. But if we give the chance for conversation and experience and travel, you know, at any means necessary travel, especially for black people, man, we need to travel. Um, a lot of prejudices will, will, will disappear, dissipate, you know, over time. I definitely agree. Uh, my lady and I just came from London uh, not too long ago. And me, when I travel, I want to go where, you know, where the black people are. You know, I want to go, I want to go to the hood. I want to see if there's any similarities. And what I realize is there's always music. There's always a drum. Even though the rhythm might be a little bit different, there's always that drum there that that combines us all. You know what I mean? So um it's it's just important for us as humans to travel, you know, in my opinion, because we gain different perspectives, we gain different we learn how to communicate with other people and it, and it just broadens our, our, our mindset to the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it just make you want to be around, make you want to see other people as much as possible. Say, you know, Americans, you know, people, I mean, people from where I'm from, I got friends, we are a 32 square mile island. Anywhere you go, on, you see water, you see the ocean, you know? You know, people that have friends or family that never left the island, not even to go to St. John, you know, which is a 15-minute ferry away, you know. They just been on the island, and then you go back, and it's very difficult to have conversations about anything, whether it's culture or politics, because you just have such a small uh, uh, worldview and perspective. And if it works for them, it works for them, you know. You know, they've been successful at, at having that. They could take care of the family, having that perspective, more power to them. But once you travel, travel man, and you see, as, as far as for me, especially I was a very religious person at the time when I started traveling. And um, my religion made me have some of those prejudices, you know, that made me feel like if you didn't believe what I believed, you could never reach your potential. 
And then you travel the world, and there's people all over the planet reaching their potential way beyond what I was doing at the time. You know, and it just like I say breaks down those perspectives, and yeah, it just it's kind of just it just free. It just make you free, you know, it just make you feel more comfortable and open to meeting other people, you know, and not just boxed in all the time. You know, um, out of all the places you've been to, which is one of your favorites, and why? Because hmm. I'm talking India, uh, Central America, like you pretty much, uh, Egypt, like you you, you are a real traveler. Well, yes, the Thievery, the, uh, man, they have a wide fan base because the music is, is a clash of, of multiple genres. You know, there's reggae, you know, there's hip hop, there's Indian dub, there's bassa, you know, and the people in the band, all the musicians are from different places of the world. So, so our the fan base is from all over the planet. So as far as traveling, I mean they they take they've taken me all over the place to Africa, to Asia, to South America, North America, all over Europe, you know, three times New Zealand, Australia. And it's very hard to pick a favorite because every time Go back, you see something new, something different. But so far, I would have to say it was on, and it had nothing to do with music. Um, it was our photography and my personal exploration. It had, is 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 the motherland, man. It was Ethiopian for me. Um, it was mainly for for Ethiopia. It was 2019, and it for that year. I got to hit Africa twice, and I went to Egypt and Ethiopia. But Ethiopia was the uh, London School of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene that hired me to go to, to Ethiopia to into several regions. They had a program where, and they still do, where they are building health posts, you know, educating um, uh, extended health workers. And I was basically documenting photographically the collection of data, interviews, meetings with mothers who had at-home births versus births, uh, which is non-traditional in hospitals and these new built health posts. And I was there to document these interviews with mothers and parents who had these experiences, you know, because it's a traditional thing to have a support group of women at home and have that birth at home, you know? And more and more women are traveling through extreme uh, landscapes to go to a health post, assuming sometimes, and sometimes guaranteed that they're gonna have a higher chance that they're gonna have a healthy birth, you know, healthy and so we were traveling to homes. You know, my first day was in McKelly, and I walked up this mountain for like a good 35, 40 minutes to get to the top. And it's like 10 houses, 10 homes. And we interviewed this mother. And um, <laughs> a lot happened that day, but it was those experiences. Every day going to a different region, you know, sometimes photographing. Uh, at home births, you know, and then I got hired by Champs in Harare and Kiss, and that was a blessing for me because the person who I used to pray to as God, as the Almighty Haile Selassie, was born in that, in that area, you know? So that was a huge thing for me that I wasn't looking for that job. It happened. Those people reached out to me, and they were under the same umbrella school um, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, they were under there, but they, their program was invasive tissue sampling, which was intense for me because what they were doing, they built a new lab, and the, demo, uh, the statistics at that time were uh, kids five and under were dying from malaria, you know, stillbirth, and many other causes, and they wanted to just lower that statistic or uh, uh, get rid of it. And so they were doing in, uh, 
these tissue samples to try and figure out the reasons to get to the root cause and create preventative medicine. Um, but the the catch was they were going to they had to they had to perform this on on dead bodies. Um, so it was going into a village or community, which they over there they, they practice Islam. They are Muslims. And they have to bury their dead within 24 hours. So you are um, photographing training of police officers, military, local community members um, that that informed them, the doctors, that uh, a three-year-old just died. So you rush over there to ask the community administrator uh, for access to the family. And then you get access from the grandfather, then the father, and then you get to the mother. Can we take, you know, your three-year-old back to the lab, take some tissue samples? And that was one of the hardest things that I've ever witnessed uh, as far as permission because the, the conversation wasn't much. So it was a hard job, but it was being in those type of environments, watching those interactions and having to keep a steady face, you know, um, try to keep my own morals and ethics, you know, every step of the way. Um, just to switch it up a, a little bit, um, where did you find your love for music? <sighs> music was, it's, it's a very cliche story. Music was always in my family, mm. um, mainly on my grandmother's side. My grandmother played the guitar and the wee and a couple other instruments, and but she played every single night. She played in front of the church. All her brothers were, and sisters were musically inclined. Uh, some of them were very famous and popular in the VI. Um, she, had a, she had two bigger brothers, Mongo Magnus Niles, and she had Mac Niles. And I only figured out about Mac Niles till recently. But Mongo, he was, and I knew about him growing up. You know, he brought back a lot of uh, uh, cultural dances in, in the VI and a lot of cultural tradi traditions. We had a quadrille dancing and they still have the Mogonales cultural dancing group to this day. It started in the 50s. So when Carnival came around, you know, I always was dragged to Carnival to the dance and, and uh, perform because he was being honored. You know, uh, his brother, Mac Niles, left to go to LA back in, in, uh, in the early 50s. And he... I'm, I'm going through there, they're like there. All the, the, their accreditations, you know, as far as music, man, I'm going through a, a deep rabbit hole online. And um, he went to LA and uh, was signed to uh, Columbia Records, and he was in all these movies. One movie he was in with uh, Carl Trinidad Run with uh, uh, Maya Angelou. She was at Calypso at the time. And um, and then I found, while looking for uh, more history on him, found out he created or recorded an album, uh, uh, Calypso Carnival. He was a Calypso singer. And um, I found that record uh, from a seller in Italy. So I had that record now, so I listened to it all the time. Um, and some of those songs, I remember my grandmother singing, you know? And I come to find out he wrote them and just, I guess, to that long term or long distance communication, but... Uh, I think my grandma always, always wanted us to pick up an instrument. She would always say that, you know, you don't want to pick up a split for you, you don't want to pick up an instrument, you know. And, and when I finally got into music, she was unhappy because I picked up reggae music, dance music, and she wanted me to be in the church, you know. And a couple of times I saw with her in front of her church. Um, but it was that. It was having to sometimes tune her guitar, you know, before she went to bed, you know, we read Bible verses, we tune her guitar, you grab it out of her closet, then you have to sing with her, sit on the bed and sing with her. And um, some of her brothers would play in local bands, um, like mental and scratch bands and calypso bands and St. Thomas. So I never said, okay, I'm going to do this. Never. I was drawing. That's what I wanted. I wanted to paint because my uncle was a famous painter. So I wanted to paint and I wanted to draw. And that's why I applied for computer animation in, in Miami. And I wanted to do that because I saw everything going towards computers. And then um, 
in Miami, I had a bunch of Jamaican friends and they asked me to come to a show one day. And I did that show and I said, forget art, you know, I'm going to do, oh, forget that type of art, I'm going to do music. And I moved to Virginia and I joined a band and joined another band and um, created some, some music on my own. And uh, the founders of Thievery, Eric Hilton and Rob Goss, I heard a solo project that I did, which is crazy because I would never share that. Well, I wouldn't say never, but I would be hesitant to share that with anybody in these days. But they heard it and they asked me to come to DC. But it was for a band called The Archives, who I still create with. And on the label, they never had any traditional reggae music. So they would create a traditional reggae album, The Archives, or self titled. And while I was there, the TV Corporation was making Culture of Faith. And they asked me to experiment on a couple of instrumentals, and I did. And I didn't know if they liked it or not. Just a couple of months later, they asked me, they told me to, uh, they sent me the, the final edits. I was kind of happy with them, but then they offered me a job. They said, would you like to go on tour? And they gave me the tour dates, and I was like, absolutely, you know. And mm. that's this year, this month makes it 12 years with them. It seems like your grandmother seen something in you that you couldn't see right away. Yeah, my, my mother used to tell me, <laughs> my mother used to tell me, you are going to be a preacher. You're going to be good with your words. You know, she told me as a little kid on the way to church, uh, way to, to Saturday school. And, and, and she used to tell me that all the time. She thought I was going to be a preacher. Um, and I don't know why she said that because I was never really, I guess I was to a certain degree, um, but she, my mother used to tell me that, and I think my grandmother, that's just one thing that she loved was music, and I just think, you know, she just wanted all her grandkids to be musicians, you know, because any any family event we had, there was music involved. My grandma used to go and pick up everybody to dance. She wanted everybody to dance. She wanted to jump on an instrument and she just wanted a party. She wanted people to have a good time. She wanted to entertain. And her, her husband was an entertainer also. His nickname was Coat. And he got that nickname from in the parties. He used to come out and wear my grandmother's coats, you know, and to make people laugh. They used to throw uh, uh, swing dance, swing dance bars at the, at the church around the corner. And they always just was kind of entertainers. And uh, she just wanted people just smile and have a good time, you know, and music was happening. And she wanted that for me, and she got to see some of it. She never got to see me on stage. She got to hear some of my music. She was never really happy with it again, but um, I can only assume and, and, and hope that she'll be proud of me in these days and times, you know? Mm. I'm absolutely sure she is. It's funny because my son... Um, we had a son in 2019 and as soon as he was old enough to like hold things like, okay, we were eating Asian one night and I had chopsticks and we were listening to music at the same time. He grabbed the chopsticks and, um, he loves Anderson Pat and he started mimicking Anderson Pat as soon as he was old enough. He can't walk or anything, but he just started, you know, and that stuck with him. So, I got a strong feeling that he's going to be an artist. He's going to be, be a musician. Yeah, you know? for parents. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's just it's just funny that certain kids already choose their path before they're conscious of it. Are you going to try to direct him towards anything specific, or are you just going to allow him to choose uh, whatever it is? Me, me personally, I would love for him to choose, and mm-hmm. we we want to funnel that energy and, and focus that energy towards that. But you know, kids change their mind just like that. So yeah. you know, whatever whatever makes him happy, I'm a, I'm gonna try to you know help him do that. You know, how old is he now? He's three. Yeah, man. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, good luck or, or more power to him, man. I mean, if you drum it already, if you beat in the drum already, so it ain't gonna stop. In one form or the other, it's not gonna stop. Mm-hmm. So, um, just to continue this 
this music conversation, what is your most favorite song to perform when you're performing? Or let me ask this. What gets the best reaction out of the crowd? Which song? Um, when I am with... It's, it's funny that it's, it's neither... For either band, it's not songs that I wrote. Um, for archives, we recently did a reggae interpretation of Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. And Brian Jackson came and um, he recorded it with us. He was in the studio the whole time, you know. He was on stage with us. We did several shows. One was at the Kennedy Center. And with that album is Home is Where the Hatred Is, you know. Um, that song, a lot of Gil's songs that we did on that album, on stage for me, doesn't translate because I'm not someone to stand still, you know. I move up and about. I just like an energetic performance. And sometimes, you know, you have to stop and get very intimate with the crowd and speak to them. Um, and that's what Gil Scott did. Gil Scott was an educator on and off, but he was also a comedian also. But his mannerisms on stage was stationary, whether he's off the piano, the roads, or he's standing up talking on the microphone, you know? And, um, but Home is Where the Hatred is, the way we interpreted that was high level, you know? And that gets the best. We always end the show with that. And, uh, and the message kind of not hits home, but reminds me of people that I love that I've lost to drugs and that still are in my life. Um, are dealing with it. So it's in there, in my mind, in my heart when I'm on stage singing that. So I think it, it creates a whole other level of mannerisms when I'm on stage singing that. And the crowd, you know, uh, uh, reacts to it differently. You know, that's my favorite crowd reaction. As far as thievery, it is uh, another sometimes show ender. It's called Richest Man in Babylon. And it's basically a to-your-face talking to America, uh, you know, about, sometimes gets a little cliche about everything, about the creation, about the politics, about the past and the current status of America. And uh, another thing that hits close to home for me also. So, and that is strangely the opposite of always where the hatred is because it is a very stationary sound. Low, low tempo sound, um, but very intimate song with the band, uh, with the crowd. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think those two, uh, I look forward to performing every time. I love that. My favorite, uh, just as quick side note, my favorite Gil Scott uh, Aaron song is Why Do You On The Moon? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that one right there oh my god like I could listen to that on repeat <laughs> who are your biggest influences um, musically and um, photography too hmm musically musically is hard because it's always been different I, think, I don't think there's any, I think as far as influences, there's, there's going to be a long list, you know? Um, and I think it always changes because my air and my preference changing all the time, you know? Um, but musically, and, and to go along, like I said, with, with that, it's, it's always changing, you know? As, as of recently, it has been Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. Um, it is it is uh, singer Dennis Brown, Jamaican singer Dennis Brown. It is the band Midnight, 
They're from Virgin Islands. They're from Saint Croix, Virgin Islands. I know Midnight. They they got uh, what's uh, Machete? That's one of yeah. their songs. Yeah, that's that's my favorite song. Yeah, they they really as far as liberty, as far as musically, historically, them dudes really, especially being from where I'm from. Um, especially being American territory, we're influenced by so much. So, so having like a, a, a consistent, being able to, to be given the time to have a consistent and build a stronger culture there has been hard throughout time. Um, but musically, of course, being influenced by um, West Africa and reggae music, and collection music. Um, they really held the fort. Them and Bamboo Station. Bamboo Station is another local reggae band that created a unique Virgin Islands sound as far as reggae. Um, very slow tempo, uh, drum and bass, uh, which reggae is already, but it just had a very unique style, drum and bass, as far as drum and bass, that, that allowed... Uh, Virgin Islands music to step out and, and be unique, you know, and be present. So as far as reggae music, I've come back around, especially since Bond, the lead singer, has passed away. I've come back around to listening to a lot of Midnight because they have a lot of music, a lot of music. You know, they have over 20-some albums out, you know. Mm-hmm. Musically... It's kind of like, eh, I could do without it. But lyrically, Vaughn and his brother has always stayed consistent. So it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like you create your own study guide and you study everything you say, you know. So, and Bamboo Station. Um, I know Chelani Horton personally and diving back into their music, they're kind of like an offshoot uh, of, of Midnight and they've kind of each other because they they kind of started around the same time. Uh, so as far as music, as far as Jamaica music, the source of reggae music is Dennis Brown. Of course, Bob Marley's in there, um, and um, yeah, I think Dennis Brown is on the top of the list. for me. Um, as far as photographically, man. I've been having a hard time, you know, trying to find inspiration these days and times, man. As far as contemporary photography, and it's because my aesthetic is film, um, and that has a lot to do. And a lot of people get on me, especially as far as my mentors, you know, they get on me as letting that lock my, my, I guess, creative path, locking it up. But I, like I, like I said at the beginning of this, you know, I have a hard time letting certain errors go as far as wanting to create that, not just as far as inspiration. You know, I look, you know, of course, everybody is, is inspired by all the magnum photographers, you know, the Kamoinge, the Kamoinge Collective, and and stuck on that medium, that tool of film and film cameras. And and though people are shooting that, using those tools today, I think right now people want fashion and sex. They want things that are sexy. And I don't want to create that. You know, there's, I mean, there's a play. I don't not like it. I, I, I enjoy it. But when you create something, you want to also share it and you want people to like it, you know? Um, You don't necessarily want to be famous and popular. You just want to know people are seeing it, you know? And I enjoy currently my creative process because I'm in Richmond, Virginia street and social documentary, if it's not an assignment, just going out to shoot 
camera photography really don't exist, you know, in Virginia. There's not a lot of people on the streets, you know. So I go and I'm back into, I found myself back into portraiture again. But I don't like, oh, I don't like to create uh, um, images that my our demographic really want to see. The type of images as far as portraiture, you know, I'm going out into the country. I've been photographing a lot in Charles City County. Um, and it's a historical county, one of the first counties to be populated in the U.S. You know, um, a lot of the earliest plantations are still working plantations out there. You know, it's a braided county. You know, there's African-Americans, there's Native Americans, the Chickahominy, and then you have the Europeans, you know. Um, so I've been going out there and, and meeting strangers. Man. That's what I like to do, which is kind of the opposite of street photography, you know. You go out there, you build rapport with strangers, and you might not take a photo of them on the first day. You might not take a photo of them on the second encounter, you know, um, because that's just, it's not the right time. You know, it's not going to lend to the aesthetic that you want to capture. So I've just been taking like old Americana style portraits of people that that wouldn't be considered in the beauty box in America or the world. And it's because of the process, man. You know, what I come from or what I enjoy doing was quick snap, snap, you know, setting the range find that snap, 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 and creating organization out of chaos, which I still love to do. But now it's it's such a slow process for me. It's like I shoot with a Hasselblad and I got you got 12 images to, mm -hmm. to every road, you know? And I can't go out and shoot a whole road. I can't shoot 12 images in a day anymore. You gotta yeah. slow down. Mm -hmm. I try to. I go up because I still am impatient in the sense I come home and I develop the film. And I want to come home and I want to develop it. And I want to see it. You know, that's the digital side of me. I want to see it. And I enjoy developing at home. I enjoy leaving it to hang for a few hours and then scanning and then finally seeing it. I still enjoy that. But I still want to do it the day of, you know. But I can't, for the life of me, go out and just shoot 12, 12 images. I can't do because it's the people who I meet. I'm meeting people every day. I meet strangers every day. And I'm more involved in the conversation and what they can teach me about their life. I just like meeting strangers. That's where, that's, that's, that's where I'm at right now. I like meeting strangers. I like having a, a, building a relationship with it. With it's long term, I'll never see them again. And being able to just be myself you know, sometimes people, most of the time, people who you know, you have to meet expectations. And with a stranger, you don't really have to. You can completely be yourself, you know? And um, rejection and, and exception is, 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 is different, you know? Um, so to answer your question, <laughs> who inspires me? Um, it's again Steve McCurry. Um, um, hmm. um, Minor White. Minor White, he's a very abstract photographer. Um, Paul Strand. Paul Strand is another. Um, yeah, posturing. Gordon Parks, of course, is on that list. As far as um, documentary photography. But what has been inspiring me are photographers who I don't know at all. Is going into a store and to a local bookstore, Chop Suey, and they have a great selection of photography books. And just, you know, you're, you're, the process is go and you turn your neck and you try to see any kind of familiar names first. And if you don't see the names that you uh, you want to see, then you just start picking books. Um, you look at it, you kind of judge the book by its cover, you know, and it's, this is the aesthetic that I'm into right now, you know, and you just sit and you go through and you just pay attention there to, to, 
composition, you pay attention to the subject matter, um, you pay attention to, to tones. You know, I, I like black and white. That's my, that's where I go to. You pay attention to tones, you pay attention to grain, to grain structure, you pay attention to, and then you finally go to the caption, go to the ex explanation of who and what is going on, you know, and sometimes they hit and just leads you up to the interpretation of, of, of the viewer. But I don't think I have this one person that I go to anymore. You know, I'm, I just want it to be an open book. And I just want, I'm just, I think it's the aesthetic more than the person. I want to see large, currently I want to see large to medium format, black and white film, old Americana style, documenting um, rural areas. And I think, again, it's, it's less of the person, the photographer, and more of who, what, where, as far as subject matter. You know, so that's my process. I have books, and honestly, and maybe it's a disrespect to the photographer that I don't even really read up to the photographer. It's just, it's just a work, you know. And and um, yeah, currently that's 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 what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. You know, the owner of the bookstore comes and he knows what I like. Calm me down. He's like, I just get these books, and you might want to come look at. And that's what I do. I I love that and. I could tell from the style of photography that you do. Um, we all know that photography is not a, a niche artistic style anymore with social media and YouTube. And a lot of people who are, who do photography now, they use a comparison. Um, they use techniques and styles that, that look similar. You know, a lot of, a lot of what I see on social media you could find one portrait of somebody and you could find the same style a million times over. Yeah. But what the, what defines you as a photographer is you go the total opposite row, you know? And what I love about your work is even though yes, it's film, um, you can actually see the, the, the patience and the time you took in. Cause when you got a, I have a Sony, right? A uh, uh, a Sony A7. I could yeah. take a thousand pictures unnecessarily. Just take a thousand pictures, and I don't really think about it. I'm just click, 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 click. But when yeah. you have a film camera, you only have a certain amount of frames. So, like you said, those twelve frames. Um, I have yeah. a Yashica uh, a Yashica 124G. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you have to take your time. Frame it right. Make sure your settings are proper. Maybe take a use your lighting meter. Like it's a whole different process, and you really have to focus in on what you're doing and, and conceptually think about what you're going to take before you take it. Which is why I love your work and I love film in general. Yeah, my mom used to tell me all the time. You know, the easy route is not always the best route. You mm -hmm. know, and the more and more we have technology that makes every process of our life easier and quicker. You just see everything just degraded, man. You just see everything. You know, I go to the, uh, uh, the Fine Arts Museum here in Richmond, and you go to the paintings in the 1800s, you know, and, and you look and you see these massive paintings and massive amount of detail and then you read about the painter and you read about the massive amount of work it took for that mission, you know? Somebody commissioned that person to paint it and they are making the paints themselves, you know? They're making the brushes themselves, you know? They're wrapping the canvases themselves, you know? They're building the frames and it's taking them years, you know? <clears throat> and that's just because of the tools that they have that they access. But because of those limitations, the artwork lives forever. It lives forever. And then you go over to the contemporary side, and it's just like there's no, there's no wonder anymore. You know, there's no wonder. It's it's there's a to the degree where I I like minimalism as far as art, man, you know. 
a certain degree, you can see the minimalism didn't call for any real work, you know, a long, dedicated, or interesting process to me, you know? And um, for film, it's a, it's a cliche saying, you know, you hear it all the time, and I think that's why it turns off so many people. Like you said, it forces people to slow down. It's very tangible. And who and what you're photographing, you have to pay attention to it. You have to get to know it. You have to, it has to come familiar with you. <clears throat> and you kind of fall in love whatever, with whatever subject you're doing. I'm setting up the tripod and I load it. I have to load my images. You know, I have to set up the tripod. I have to balance the tripod. I have to balance the image. I have to, you know, and, and by the time you're just looking, you're paying attention to light, you know, which a lot of photographers forget. That's our main tool is light. Without light, there is no image, you know, whether it's artificial or whether it's natural. Light. So you're paying attention to light. So it becomes, it's a very mechanical, tangible, and organic at the same time. And then you come home and, and then I have to, you have to wait. You have to give, you have to, it forces you to give yourself time before you can see the image. And then you have to, Take a delicate time to, to process, to load it, you know, to mix the chemicals, to and then you hang it up to dry, and then you scan it. It's like you, you, you have a relationship with every single image. Every image you have a relationship with. And with digital, like I just shot uh, um, for Richmond Magazine a couple of days ago, uh, Daniel Hoffison, he won Big Brunch, um, the HBO series. And I went up there with my, with, because they wanted, sometimes uh, people, are, they ask you, do you want to shoot film or shoot digital? You know, and I'm just like, digital. But then they say, you want to shoot color. And I'm just, well, that's a job. That's a tool. And then I came home with just like a bunch of shots, man, you know? And it's just like, it's going through them, you know, and, and breaking it down and, it's like some of the images you just don't even pay attention. It's just like scrolling, 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 scrolling. And by the time you're done, you're just exhausted and you're not excited about it anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's time, man. Time, the process, and being able to, to be able to put my hand on every single image is why, is why I go to books, you know, for inspiration. I no longer go to Instagram or, or Flickr or the computer, uh, Pinterest. I'm no longer doing that anymore because, I don't know, it's just draining and exhausting trying to look because it's just trends. It's, it's, um, it's the algorithm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it's not as much freedom as being able to go into a bookstore. <clears throat> and look for what you want to, and then see an actual print, which is another huge process of photography. Turn the pages, you know, I want just a more tangible, in-person, slower process, man. You know, that's what I want. I love that. And it's almost a spiritual thing too. You know, you're, you're transferring, you're transferring an idea that starts in your head. Yeah. And manifesting it into a physical form. You yeah. know what I mean? So in reality, we're all getting a small glimpse inside of what you think. Yeah. Which, which in reality of it, it, it kind of like blows my mind to think about it like that. Yeah, Joanna, and, and it is it's meditation. And, it, and mm. you could do that with, with any tool as far as photography. You know, I mean, film is just my my tool, but they are just tools at the end of the day. You know, you mm -hmm. can slow down with a digital camera. You can put a digital camera on top of a tripod and shoot one image a day. You take your time, throw on the live screen, compose, balance, and do all of that. But um, it's still meditative at the end of the day. If you force yourself to just slow down, like allow yourself to fall in love with whatever it is you're photographing, um, it's meditative, you know, you know, 
meditate in different ways. For me, I like finding a subject matter, shoving my eye in my viewfinder, slowing down, breathing, paying attention to the light, pay attention to symmetry, to basic composition, and paying attention to subject matter and trying to create art out of that. That's my meditation on a daily basis, you know? And like I said, the, the rest of the process that I just explained, that's my meditation, you know? That is <clears throat> how I have peace of mind because everything else <clears throat> is zoom, 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 zoom. Everything, technology is forcing me to move fast, fast, fast. Everything has to get done right now to make more money. <clears throat> the less time you spend on something, the more money you can make. <clears throat> and some people just need to slow down within their day. And the camera is my tool to allow me to slow down and to, to gather my thoughts, you know, and my feelings, my perspective again, you know? That's facts. Um, I got one more final question for you. All right. What's the hardest part about being Christopher Puma Smith? <laughs> <laughs> Every day that changes, you know, and um, I came back to um, a friend of mine, Randy Blythe. He's um lead singer of Lama Guy is a um, metal band. And um, he just dropped off like a stack of books on stoicism. And it is... It was immediately reading some of the text is a reminder that <clears throat> separation is, is inevitable. Life has a lot of separation in it. And I'm talking about extreme, you know, separation, bottom separation up to any part of the pendulum swing, you know. Hard times is inevitable. <clears throat> But is it's trying to pay attention to your inner and outward reaction to the issue, you know. Um, <clears throat> and within the last two three years, um, it has been hard trying to trying to regulate how. I communicate, socialize, and be around other people. Technology is forcing us to, to not be around other people face-to-face, -face, you know? Don't come out your doors unless you look a certain way. Don't call me. Don't come knock on my door without letting me know. You know, just... You know, everything you can get delivered to your house. You don't even have to leave your house for groceries anymore. Don't talk to anybody. But at the same time, be compassionate, be nice to everybody. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's not compatible. Uh, but my what I do for a living, I have to talk to people. I have to entertain people. I have to photograph people. <clears throat> and so it is on a daily basis for Christopher to for Puma. I don't know, I don't know the last I said her name, Christopher Smith, she's up. <laughs> um, but it is <clears throat> trying to find common ground with people who I have disagreements with. Um, and I think that's another thing that we focus on. We we make we make a living off of always trying to find negative or bad things about people and then trying to follow up and trying to make a career out of it, you know? And trying to build a following base off of bashing somebody else's life, you know, mistakes, their mistakes. And coming out of photographing here in Richmond during the whole unrest in America. You know, after George Floyd, here locally, we had Marcus David Peters, who was shot by a police officer, taking down all the statues and seeing people who were upholding the Confederate history, 
and people who just wanted to move on from that label of the capital of the Confederacy. Um, I saw in between people finding reasons to come together. And even those reasons might make certain people upset, but it was seeing groups who were traditionally uh, white supremacists and racist. I would say that, you know, they would say, you're not assuming that through groups like Black Lives Matter 757 or other local um, African-American groups, they were coming together on gun laws. They wanted to be able to police their own communities. They didn't trust the police. So it was groups that disagreed on one, just a week ago you saw them pointing guns at each other and screaming. And then the next day they're planning events together because it was like, you know what? We don't trust this group anymore. We don't trust this entity. You want to be able to police you. You want to have a say how you police your community. We want to have a say how we police our community. Let's get together for, for, for community education, you know, on, 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 on how you vote, education on voting, education, just local current laws, you know. Uh, and it was seeing that it was, like I said, you can put your prejudices and your ignorance to the side to fight for common cause. You can fight always come and grow if you allow yourself to be patient and thick-skinned. And you can always find common ground to talk with people who you consider your enemies. And with time, all those prejudices and everything that's making you separate from the other person will slowly disappear, you know? But it starts with yourself first. So for me, Music, photography allowed me to get rid of a lot of prejudices because it forced me and encouraged me and motivated me to, to get out of the house, not talk to people through text and email all the time, and talk to people face to face, you know, and allow people to tell me what they disagree with me about and allow me to tell them what I disagree about and be able to work on that. And every day, that is a struggle, you know, because the world opinions are becoming extreme. People are becoming very bold again. And it's a very scary thing because so much progress has been made. And I feel like we're going sliding backwards again, you know. So to, to challenge myself to talk to people who I disagree with on a daily basis is a goal of mine, a daily goal of mine, a challenge. And one, it, it's something that's paying off for me. Um, it's something that's paying off for me, me specifically and for other people. I can give you a lot of examples about that. But to answer your question, it's putting yourself amongst people who you mainly disagree with to find common ground to move forward. So I don't have to walk in a room and feel uncomfortable, you know, to tell myself, I don't have any enemies right now. You know, I don't want any enemies. I want people who I disagree with, but I don't want to wake up and say, you know what? I hate this person. I don't want to ever see this person again. I don't want to be the same. I don't want that type of feeling anymore. I don't want that. I don't want any enemies. So, so, so that's 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 my daily goals. That's powerful, brother. That's powerful. Um, I love your work. Uh, I I love everything that you produce. It's very fruitful, and um, hopefully, you know, we can link up in in future. You know, when I be in DC or if I come down there, I'm in DC all the time. I'm gonna be in DC on Wednesday. I in DC all the time. We just played at the club, man. In, in December, come on, bro. Just let me know, and I'll be there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but um, how can people reach you? Uh, buy some prints if they want to commission you for some work. Like, uh, what's what's the website and the socials? Uh, everything is I and I Visions. So mm-hmm. E Y E N E Y E Visions dot com. Instagram. I'm building an Instagram again. I got off of it for a long time, um, so I'm on there again. I'm going to jump on some other platforms. I'm just very cautious about it. But immediately, you want to browse through some work. 
Um, it is ionivisions.com. Mm. I am posting about once a week on Instagram, sharing some stories. Uh, I just started a YouTube page. There's probably like, there's three videos up there. It's, it's brand spanking though. Um, mm. Go up there, um, subscribe, you know, follow, like, and um, I will be, more and more I will be consistent with these platforms. Uh, but yeah, INIVisions.com. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Once again, thank you, brother. Um, this conversation was inspirational and enlightening. Yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to start, start the deal. Come here, man. Come here, come here, come here. Say what's up. <laughs> <laughs> I look just like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real boy. What? <laughs> 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 all right, man. I ain't gonna take too much of your day up. Right? You have a good one. All right, all right. Peace, brother. Much love. Say hello to the queen for me, man. All right, man. Bless up. <laughs>